0: Uh, before we jump into the message this morning, I, uh, Chip mentioned Hurricane Florence and I know uh, some of you may have had like your plastic lawn furniture, you know, get blown over or something like that. Uh, but we are going to take a moment and, and just kind of pray for those who uh, have been affected from the storm. I know uh, there are several friends of mine that are in Eastern North Carolina who had to evacuate from Wilmington or stayed in New Bern, Jacksonville, all that kind of stuff and their churches are kind of rallying together to see how they can serve in their community. Uh, there's a lot of water uh, that came up and uh, flooded those areas and so uh, in fact some of them can't even still get back into town if you've seen some of the uh, footage from uh, Interstate 40 near Wilmington and stuff like that—it's just covered. You can't even drive across it or anything. So uh, there are a couple things that uh, we'll kind of post and send out ways that you can contribute financially to storm relief if you want to help out in that way. And also, we're going to be working with some of those local churches in Wilmington and New Bern to find out uh, if we can kind of get a team together and go down and help out with some cleanup efforts and that kind of thing too. But uh, for right now, uh, there are a lot of those churches that are either uh, gathering together right now and very. Uh, different circumstances than what are normal on Sunday mornings, or they had to cancel services. And so uh, we're going to kind of spend some time right now in prayer for them, kind of being in spirit with the global church uh, as they're uh, navigating uh, through the effects of this hurricane. So let's pray together. God, uh, we know that even when we are not in control, that you are, uh, that even in the midst of the chaos, uh, that you are still sovereign, that you are still Lord. And we ask that uh, through the midst of the after effects of the storm and as rain is continuing to come down, uh, that you would uh, show us opportunities that we can be the church to our communities um, and that you would turn uh, some of the uh, bad things that have happened uh, and tragic things that have happened into into good as you've uh, promised that for us. We praise you always through anything, uh, even through the storm. And we do this through your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Over last week, if you went to the grocery store, you probably noticed that bread, uh, chips, milk, and water are, were kind of scarce on the shelves. So that's a lot of milk and bread sandwiches. Uh, the gas station by my house ended up with just Supreme for a day uh, because of the anticipation of Florence coming this way. And I know it was kind of a bust around here as the storm didn't track north like it was being uh, talked about. I even had a wedding that I was supposed to do uh, this past weekend that was canceled because of what was anticipated to come. Uh, But I'm grateful that so many people had an early heads up. Anytime there's a storm like this that comes along, I always think about pre-modern meteorology days. I mean, people have been studying the weather weather for millennia, so it's not like people haven't been paying attention. Uh, But the early warning that we get, like, before Florence even becomes a hurricane, that we see the storm forming and that we have an idea that it might be coming this way, I mean, that's just a pretty amazing thing. I don't know if you ever stop and think about that. I do, and I think about what it would be like if you were on the Outer Banks and you had no idea that storm was coming, and all of a sudden you just see, like, off the coast, oh, those clouds look pretty dark, oh, the wind is picking up, and it keeps doing that. It would be a pretty uh, amazing, incredible, uh, dangerous, fearful life experience. And when I think about that, and I think about how long throughout human history that we haven't had some of those modern conveniences and that extra knowledge, it's kind of easy to see how people would develop belief and faith in a higher power. I mean, when we acknowledge that life is out of our control, that we can't control everything, that we don't have the answers for anything, it's very easy to see why it's beneficial and that we need trust, hope, and faith in a higher power. Um, The natural world is capable of such incredible beauty and such massive destruction that even when we know more about it intellectually, it doesn't necessarily translate into a better knowledge of why things are the way that they are. How much do you know about what you know? Really? I mean, I'll hazard a guess that most of us ended up here through some sort of motorized vehicle of some sort. You might know how to change the oil or the tires or even switch out your battery, but how much do you actually know about what you use, that vehicle that you use to get around every day? You know how to use a car. You might even know how to change your brakes, but can you explain how your car works? How much do you know about what you know? Most of us use the internet daily, whether for work or school or entertainment or just to waste our lives away. Uh, If you know how to use Google, you can find out just about any information that you want, but how many of you know and can explain how all those ones and zeros work together through cabling to create this global network that we use? How much do you know about what you know? If you've learned to ride how to ride a bike, the phrase "it's like riding a bike" is something you can relate to, because even if you know it's been years, and it has been for me, I've gotten on a bike and I've been a little wobbly, but I can still I know you're proud of me I can still ride a bike. I can. I, I promise I can. But could you accurately diagram how a bike works? There's actually a study uh, done with this where people were asked to draw a picture. of of bikes, you know, to see how they are constructed, and just about everybody got it wrong. (laughs) Like almost half of everybody that tried to diagram how a bike works properly, even if you ride one every day, they got it wrong. How much do you actually know about what you know? We could go down a much longer list of things we use and do every day, but if we were forced to sit down and explain the ins and outs of everything we interact with, we'd be hard-pressed to be able to do so. There's a phrase that describes this, it's called the illusion of explanatory depth. It's a fancy phrase, and now you've heard it, and great. But this is what it does. It identifies the subconscious arrogance or pride that we have when it comes to the wide spectrum of how we interact with our world, with things like household objects or cars or bikes or even more serious things like politics or religion. You know, we, all we really care about typically, as a society, is whether or not something is working. We're kind of a mass produce, and if it stops working, throw it away, go buy another one, and let's get it out here as quick as we can as possible, because we don't care how or why something works. We just want it to work for us. And here's why, it's ma- why, why it matters to know that this is kind of how we operate and think in our, in our lives. It's important to acknowledge what we don't know. I don't know is one of the hardest things for some of us to say. It's one of the hardest things for me to say. It can be for me to say. It can be perceived as a weakness, or maybe it's just because we think someone will think, you know, we're less than, of less than average intelligence, or maybe even totally incompetent. In fact, people can be kind of downright snobby and rude when you don't know what they expect everyone to know. It's one of those things we don't like to admit, so we act like we know more than we do. But here's the thing. Belief religion faith throughout the course of human history is an ancient response to this timely re- timeless reality we don't know everything and not only do we not know everything we don't have control over anything and granted as a society as a culture as a global culture we—the more we learn the cockier we get It's popular to kind of think that all religions are really trying to achieve the same kind of thing, that as an individualistic society, we just... Uh, you know, fulfilling our existential need for self-actualization. And so we typically look at religion kind of like this. Whatever religions there are that exist in the world, it's kind of like this mountaintop experience that we're all trying to achieve and, and strive for. Like, this is the thing that we just want to get to that where we become one or where we feel better or we're kind of like on the pinnacle of where we should be in life. But if we flip the mountain over, this is probably a more accurate representation of how belief and faith and religion, really where that comes from. And I'm talking about very generally and universally. All of of our belief and faith, our hierarchy of, um, of ideas and what we base our life on, it all comes from the same points of human experience. It's our response to what we can't control. It could be chaos of events we can't predict, the injustice and evil that are all too common, maybe just the fight for survival. I mean, don't get me wrong, there, there's beauty that's a part of that as well. But when it comes down to it, if we're going to pick something, you know, and there's a, a bear about to eat us in front of us in a beautiful sunset, I'm going to tell you there's one of those that we're going to notice more than the other. The more well off we are, the more we can distance ourselves from this reality. But it's when the things that we cannot control hit us in life that we identify with our actions, what we really believe in. Everyone has a hierarchy of values that they believe they can trust. In other words, everyone has faith in something. But that belief doesn't just come from what you claim and say, well, this is what I believe to be true about the world. It comes from what we do. And so as we talk about this life with God, and we're talking about today, this morning, living a life with faith, the reason I bring all of this up is because it matters and how we live with faith in our relationship with God and who He is and who He claims to be to us. We have to ask ourselves what is our faith really in based on how we live our lives and our actions? What is our faith really driven by? In a life with God we live life with or by faith. And if you want to know if your life with God is driven by life with faith then consider this question. When life And it will be at some point when life is out of control. To whom do you give control? It's going to be someone or something or you or it could be God. Last week we talked about how there's four major ways that... Each have their distinct problems that we relate to God. And when it comes to control, uh, these, are the, these are the ways each of those four ways mess up. Life under God, for example, and if you don't know what I'm talking about and you missed last week, check out the podcast. Uh, it's it's going to be worth it to see and place yourself in one of those categories and see where you might be so you can discover how to live a life with God. Life under God seeks to control the world by securing God's blessing via rituals and morality. Life over God employs natural laws or divine principles from the Bible to help us through life's challenges. A life from God amasses, you know, we try to control life by amassing enough wealth, health, and popularity so we can insulate ourselves from the calamities that befall others. And a life for God seeks to control God and His favor through faithful service and accomplish enough for God so that He will bless and protect you. But ultimately, all of those approaches to life some, will some way fail. And so here's the danger, and here's the cycle that we find ourselves in when we live life according to those principles. Is that we continue to stay in this cycle of danger that causes fear, that causes us to seek control, and then at some point realize that we don't really have any control. Control is an illusion, and so we find ourselves back in that same area where we have danger again, and fear, and control a so cycle at some point, all of us have been in, uh, but there is a way to break free from that. Henry Nowen, who he was a, a Dutch Catholic priest and philosopher and teacher and writer. Um, in fact, if you uh, want to learn more about uh, yourself and the inner workings of your minds and your th- your mind and your thought life, uh, I would I would uh, check out uh, some of his books. But he writes about this time in his life where he finally kind of visually saw faith at work, what a life with faith looks like. And it was all because he went to a circus. He went to a circus in Germany. He saw a trapeze artist uh, doing their thing, the flyer going through and doing all these incredible acrobatic maneuvers. And he was wild. The, you know, The crowd thought it was amazing. But then he started to notice something. He noticed that each time this tra- tra- trapeze flyer flew through the air and did these acrobatic maneuvers, um, there was one consistent thing that happened every single time that made that possible. Can you guess what that might be? He got caught. So, what, what's the real important thing that happens there in the midst of that? Henry is there watching. He's like, wow, if. If, if this guy doesn't get caught, or he doesn't have trust or belief that the catcher is going to catch him, there's no way he gets up there, and he no, there's no way he does these acrobatic, incredible maneuvers. At 60 60 years old, he asked to uh, experience this, and so he was fitted with a harness, and they threw him up there, and he was flying around and doing all kinds of crazy, amazing uh, maneuvers himself, which sounds terrifying to me. I don't like heights. Like, even if I'm strapped in, that sounds rough. But he did all that, and he was able to have fun and enjoy that experience without fear because he knew there was no danger. And here's what he later wrote. If we are to take risks, To be free, in the air, in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. This idea, this picture of faith, is the natural inclination in a life with God. One of the things that I've noticed uh, time in and time out about fellow disciples of Jesus is that they have a notable piece about how they handle out-of-control circumstances in their life. This is not to say that they don't wish things were different or that they don't pray or work uh, to that end. However, across the board, they're content even when they know that they don't know what's going to happen. And they even have people regularly come up to them and share stories uh, about people coming up to them and asking them how they can remain at peace when things are out of control. I'm not talking about like carefree skipping through the flower fields and you know having cotton candy and everything's rosy and amazing in life. But through simply recognizing that we don't have control, but we can live life with the one who does, frees us to be able to experience life with God, with joy. Scott Jathani, in his book With, which I recommended last week, says this faith is the opposite of seeking control. It is surrendering surrendering control. You know you have faith because faith is the opposite of fear. It's the opposite of the need to know what you don't know because you've already surrendered that over to the one who does. If you surrender your life to God, he will catch you. That's his promise. In 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13, John writes this. He says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Faith. It's the opposite of fear. It's the opposite of seeking control in the midst of danger. We have the total, as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, we have the total assurance of safety from God, who guarantees it through his son Jesus and makes it evident through his Holy Spirit. This is not a promise of danger being absent in our lives this side of heaven, especially when there are so many things that are dangerous in this life, and especially when we're so good at getting ourselves into trouble. And causing our lives to spin out of control. We do a good job on our own, even in the midst of so many other unexplained, you know, chaotic circumstances like hurricanes that come. And we do a good job without hurricanes. Uh, That humanity is often described as sheep in need of a shepherd in the Bible is uncomfortably accurate. Uncomfortable because, and I don't know how many of you have been sheep farmers in your life, but sheep are not considered the smartest of the domestic animals. And I, I don't, you know, I just... This is how you know God has a sense of humor, because <laughs> he calls us sheep. And sheep are, you know, uh, are, sheep are dumb. I mean, they, they do dumb things, and they constantly need care, and they constantly need protection, and they constantly need watching over. Uh, there's this uh, story out of, um, out of Turkey. Um, there was a group, uh, well, there's a, uh, almost 2,000 sheep that were grazing, and uh, the Turkish shepherds, they went to have breakfast, and they're just kind of sitting there and watching the sheep grazing. And then um, one of the sheep decided that he wanted to see what was on the other side of the cliff, and so he jumped off. And then all of the sheep, the whole herd, about 1,500 sheep, they all followed that sheep and jumped off. All of them did. Every single one. And um, what happened, and don't, this is not funny at all, uh, but, because this is like a whole town's, you're already laughing, and I said, it's not... It's not funny. Um, but like a whole town, their livelihood was dependent on this. But 450, 1,500 jumped off, only 450 died. Because once there was a pile of 450, the others were cushioned at when, they, when they jumped off. And, and here's the thing. I mean, it sounds like a really bad retort to the age-old parent, parental question. It's like, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Well, well gee, Mom, you know, it might cushion my fall. You know, I mean, it, it's a... It's a, like here's the thing, even in a life without God, you can survive for a while through pure dumb luck. I mean, you know, there's, there's a thousand sheep that survived, you know, jumping on the cliff. But eventually, the danger inherent in a world marred by sin catches up with us all. We feel this most acutely over anything else in, in death. I mean, it's something that all of us will experience at some point in our life. It's coming from all of us. But God removes any kind of fear or danger or need to control when and where and how that might happen at some point in the future by exchanging it for a joy in a life lived with faith with Jesus. It brings fresh meaning to the Christologically rich chapter of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. We all, like sheep... Have gone astray We've all jumped off a cliff Some of us have been damaged more than others Some of us have learned our lesson more than others But we've all gone astray And each of us has turned to our own way And yet even though we deserve whatever consequences That we should have in this life, in this broken world God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all And as disciples of Jesus, because of the grace of that salvation, we know that in a life with God, we can have faith because we've already, as disciples of Jesus, been caught. Consider these words that King David, a former shepherd himself, writes about God in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you you believe that? I mean, how does that phrase... I mean, that, that, that's going to clue in for you. Just how you react to that first sentence will let you know, man, am I living a life with God, with faith? Or, or am I still trying to hold on to control just a little bit because of the danger and fear in my life? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what this psalm does. It shows us the exchange between the danger, the fear, and control cycle into the surrender, safety, faith, surrender, safety, and faith cycle. This is, this is the world that we live in, the broken, sinful world. The, it's broken because of us that we live in up top, danger, fear, and control. But when we exchange that fear for faith, we surrender the need for control of our lives. We experience the safety that it is with our shepherd who is God And we were able to live our life with faith, without the need for control over everything that happens in our lives. The gospel message is that the consequence of sin, death, has been defeated by Jesus, our Savior and Lord. This means your eternity, my eternity, as a disciple with Jesus, in Jesus, has already begun. Eternity has already begun. It's happening right now. When we surrender ourselves to experience life with God, we exchange life with fear for life with faith. This is how we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not simply an acknowledgment of a truth. It's not enough to just say, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus existed. I believe in him. No, it affects how we live out our faith. It's not just about believing it. It's about living it out. If you want to know if you're living a life with faith, consider who is in control of your life. Who controls your purpose? Who controls your work? Who controls your home, your thought life, your worldview? Who controls your marriage? Who controls your kids? Who controls your mother in law? I don't know how that got in there. That's not one of them. Who controls your calendar? Who controls your hobbies? Who controls your rest? Who controls your health? Who controls your bank account? we can keep going on and on you get the idea someone or something is in control of all of those things but when you and i surrender that control to god you and i will experience safety in his care and we will discover the joy of a life with faith and so when we read psalm 23 and we read the verse your rod and your staff they comfort me well you know a rod and a staff depending on what you know about shepherding they're not generally used for, for comfort. You know, sometimes they're used for correction and, and training and, and trying to get a sheep to go where they, where they go. So, so we read through the Bible and we're praying through scripture and saying, oh, here's how Jesus wants me to live my life. You know, if you read that and you're oh man, nobody could do this, this is just kind of an idea of, you know, how, how we might think about our worldview when it comes to God. No. Like he's saying, this is how to live because this is what a life with faith looks like, this is how it develops. It's when we surrender what we want to do and who we are to, to God because he wants to keep us safe and give us a reason for believing in who he is and what he claims for us to do. This is the life with faith that we are invited to in a life with God. And he offers that to all of us, even if at some point we've, we've jumped off a cliff uh, in, in our past or even if we plan to jump off a cliff in our future. And here's, here's just one, as we prepare to take communion, as we do every week at Velocity, um, I, I just want to give you some after-church work in your devotional time as you read and pray through Scripture uh, in your communion with God uh, this week. I, I just want to invite you to read Hebrews chapter 11. And, and I, I want you to do that because in Hebrews chapter 11, we just see it's called the faith chapter in, in the Bible, and for good reason, read it to see the practical, tangible application of life with God through faith. Because as you read through that chapter, it's not about like the names of those people and how amazing they were, they were as human beings. It's what God was doing simply because they were being faithful in their lives. Um, but I want to spoil the last two verses of that chapter for you before we uh, jump into this time of communion together and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And here's, here's, what, uh, here's what they say. These were all commended for their faith... Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And here's what, here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The thing that has been planned that is better for us is Jesus. And the thing that we're going to do when we experience this all together, uh, when we are made perfect, is that Jesus is preparing a place for us. And so we can have faith and trust and hope and love in a life with God, because we've all been caught as followers of Jesus. And one day, we'll all be able to celebrate this meal that we share each week at Velocity together at one table. What was promised has been fulfilled through Jesus. And so may this memorial meal that we have together not just be representative of a belief that we have in who God is, but also uh, be indicative of the life that we're living with faith as disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for Jesus and we thank you for his life and his example of living with faith, um, even as your son. That even though Jesus is God, he didn't regard his, regard his equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a servant. For us, He lived with faith. He gave you over control, even as He was fully God and fully man. God, we, uh, we ask that you uh, just keep that at the forefront of our memory as we're dealing with danger and fear and the things that we feel uh, in control of and out of control of. That you empower us with your Holy Spirit to be reminded of your words in Scripture uh, that are meant to impact us, affect us, and guide us. Um, in living a life of faith. And we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.